The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. This is Rainmaker FM, the digital marketing podcast network. It's built on the Rainmaker platform, which empowers you to build your own digital marketing and sales platform. Start your free 14-day trial at rainmakerplatform.com. These are the Writer Files, a tour of the habits, habitats, and brains of working writers, from online content creators to fictionists, journalists, entrepreneurs, and beyond. I'm your host, Cal Reed, writer, podcaster, and mediophile. And each week, we'll discover how great writers keep the ink flowing, the cursor moving, and avoid writer's block. International best-selling author and critically acclaimed screenwriter of Room, Emma Donahue, talked with me recently about her writing process and adapting her best-known work into an award-winning movie. In addition to writing for the screen, stage, and radio over her prolific career, the multi-genre author has had her popular fiction translated into over 40 languages. Her 2010 novel, Room, was shortlisted for the Man Booker Prize and also won a New York Times Book of the Year award, among many others. The film adaptation of the book has been nominated for three Golden Globes, including Best Screenplay, for Ms. Donahue's stunning first full-length script. The film itself boasts 31 international award wins and 65 nominations as of this writing, including nods from the Critics' Choice Awards, Screen Actors Guild, Independent Spirit Awards, and the Toronto International Film Festival. Join us for this two-part interview. In part one of The File, Emma and I discuss how getting fired can boost your writing career, why you don't need a magic pen to get it done, how writing is like sex, and why research and preparation informs great writing. And we are rolling with Emma Donahue. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule and press junkets and uh, promotion to chat with me on The Writer Files. My pleasure. So I will just preface the episode to say that Miss Donahue is uh, hiding out like a spy in a spy novel in her uh, bathroom uh, in Los Angeles. I get, I did give away your location. We can cut that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a bad spy, aren't I? (laughs) So um, for listeners who might not be familiar with your story, can you just tell us a little bit of your, about your origins as a, as a writer? 
Sure. Um, let's see. I, I've come to writing for the screen rather indirectly in that I mostly write fiction and um, plays for theatre and history as well. Uh, so Room is my seventh novel, but it's my first feature film. So, um, you know, I'm a veteran writer, but I'm totally new to the film business. And so I'm a bit of an overexcited beginner, you know. And I feel I'm definitely enjoying beginner's luck in that I've had such a sweet experience um, working on this film. You know, I, I keep expecting to have some alienating, brutalizing encounter with the film business, and it just hasn't happened yet. <laughs> well, it is truly an amazing adaptation of a, a fantastic uh, and international best-selling novel um, that you adapted yourself for the screen, which is just an amazing story, I think, and an inspiring one for writers um, especially. But uh, congratulations on all of the success uh, uh, that Room is having. Thank you. Thank you. And yes, I, I didn't really wait to be asked. Um, I had a feeling there was going to be a lot of screen interest uh, once the novel was published. So I thought I would just fire, fire ahead and have a go at the screenplay myself before the novel actually came out. Um, you know, before anybody would overwhelm me with advice on how I should let more experienced screenwriters tackle it, I thought I would just try my hand myself. So, um, of course, my draft went through a, a lot of, you know, reworking with the director, Lenny Abramson. But basically from the start, I wanted to be the one to do this because I, I had a pretty clear idea in my head of how the story needed to be told all over again, but using the tools of cinema this time. Yeah, yeah. And it's amazing cinema. Um, I know that it's been nominated and winning just multiple awards. Um, it's considered an Oscar uh, contender in a lot of different categories, including, I'm sure, for your script, which is, is fantastic. I got a chance to look at it actually on John August's app called Weekend Read, where he puts uh, short listers for awards up, which is great. So congratulations really on all of the successes that both the, the film and the book have had. So, I mean, I'd like to dig into your process a little bit as a writer. Did you have an aha moment just as a, a young writer? I know you've been a professional writer for most of your life, so. Oh, I don't have any other skills. <laughs> I mean, really, I was sacked as a chambermaid in New Jersey. That was a bit of a nadir. And um, <laughs> it has to be writing because I don't have any other way of, 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 of earning a living. Um, I, I think one thing that's unusual is that I write quite prolifically and I tend to work on quite a few projects at once. So I've never had writer's block because, um, you know, if you're feeling bored or stifled with one particular project, you can just turn to one of the other things you have on the go. So I think that's a great way to, um, to, to get away from the potentially, you know, draining, grueling aspects of working on just one all-encompassing project. And also I've always worked in different genres and I really enjoy the fact that each genre has different things to offer you. I mean, if somebody put a gun to my head and forced me to pick one, I would probably pick fiction because in fiction, you know, I, I feel like I'm the supreme ruler of the world I'm creating. Um, but on the other hand, collaboration is such fun and so stimulating. Um, if, if you know, if you wrote on your own all the time, it could feel quite a monkish existence. So um, I really enjoy sort of having breaks from my kind of solitary writing life and and being part of the cut and thrust of collaboration on something like a play or a film. So you have to, you know, give up some of your power, but then you get a lot of extra pleasure. Where can we find more of your more of your writing out there in the world? 
Um, I have a website called emmadonahoo.com and I would say most of what's out there is my fiction and that's probably still the best so far. And until a few years ago, my publishers would have said that my historical fiction was, was what they liked to get because um, that tended to sell better. But then room is contemporary, so it's sort of reversed there. I mean, basically my publishers never know what they're getting when I send them a new book. I'm sure they're always a little bit nervous about it. <laughs> But, you know, I have to keep mixing it up because I have been writing full time since I was about 22 and I'm 47 now. So you absolutely have to set yourself new challenges or it would get too samey and you would just sit there, you know, pontificating over and over on the same subjects. Yeah, yeah. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books, and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Well, you've had an immense successes. Your, your uh, novels have been uh, translated into over 40 languages. Uh, you were shortlisted for the Man Burger Prize and, and have won many, many awards for Room. Uh, what are you working on now as you're <laughs> globetrotting and promoting the film? And, and, and you're absolutely right. I, I do write when I tour because otherwise the, the touring existence it can feel so shallow, you know, especially in the film world when they send rumors to your room. To put eye makeup on you at seven in the morning. So <laughs> I absolutely have to keep writing to keep my sanity. Um, I'm, I'm putting finishing touches to my next novel, which is set in the 1850s in Ireland and is about a little girl who claimed to be able to live without eating. Um, I'm very often inspired by weird little historical incidents. There's something about, you know, that tiny little salt crystal of truth that, that really gets my juices flowing. Mm. And I've also been trying um, to write for children, not just about children. I mean, basically, when, when our kids arrived uh, 12 and 8 years ago, um, many writers said to me, oh, you know, kids wreck your career. But I have found them to be the biggest source of inspiration. The, the ideas have just come flooding since the kids. So I'm, I'm writing an, a novel, possibly a series for the sort of eight to 12 year old market. And of course, that's a whole other um, challenge because 
With adult readers, you always imagine them being fairly polite and maybe giving your book a try for 50 pages. But, you know, I see kids read. They will just literally drop a book in the middle of a sentence if you've lost their attention. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So I know that your writing is, you know, both with the historical fiction and the uh, just the amount of detail that you put into, say, um, a novel like Room. Are you doing quite a bit of research for something like that? Are you spending a, yeah. Yeah, and it's funny. People only really notice the research if it's a historical project. But, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know about other writers, but I can't, I can't just sit down and write a scene set in an L.A. hotel in 2015 and get it right. You know, even if I'm living that existence, <laughs> I still would need to check all the details. I'm not observant. I'm absent-minded. I mean, among my friends, I'm famous for the fact that I will not know what color the walls were or where we went. You know, I'm mostly concentrating on what's in my head or the conversation rather than the decor. So I need to research everything. And um, I find that more and more easy to do um, through the internet. I mean, there are just so many people out there who share their expertise for free. Mm. You know, especially on Wikipedia, I just treasure all those geekish men who have chosen to share with the world their knowledge of, say, Crayola colors. That was a good example. When I was writing group, I needed to know the actual names of the crayon colors for a scene in which Jack, for the first time in his life, instead of just a little five crayon pack from Swiss Chalet, you know, that he would, for the first time, get a 60 crayon set and would be overwhelmed by variety. So, yeah. of course, some, some wonderful guy on Wikipedia had put in the names of all the crayon colors. <laughs> wow. Well, I actually want to look at that now. Um, so before you crack your knuckles and, and sit down and get going on a project, really get into the writing, do you have some pregame rituals that kind of get you into the mode? No, I try and take as much of the um, mystique out of writing as possible because if you wait around for either the blinding inspiration or your special magic pen by the way if I had a special pen I would lose it because I lose things so much or if you waited for the rituals then on the days when anything interrupted the rituals you wouldn't be able to write so especially as a mother of two kids I try and be totally pragmatic about this and do it like a job as soon as the kids are out of the house I go to my computer basically and um, I will happily write you know at the YMCA while my kids are in childcare on buses trains um, I was writing on the subway in Toronto recently and I didn't realize that I'd spilled the salad dressing from my lunchtime salad deep into the bowels of my computer oh, God. So um, (laughs) I really don't care who I am. I'm off in my own little world. And often I'm not sitting either. I've got a treadmill desk and it's going to be the salvation of me because Mm. I hate exercise. And the treadmill desk for me is the only way to trick myself into exercising because if I'm writing, I don't really notice the fact that I'm also walking. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've heard writers say that uh, it's hard for them to get into into the writing mode on the actual treadmill or at the standing desk. They use that more for kind of um, day-to-day, you know, bureaucratic stuff. But I'd be interested to hear how that goes for you. Well, luckily, there's so much of the boring day-to-day stuff that even if you just did your emails and research on the treadmill desk, that's still hours. And then yeah. I love that feeling of like, oh, I've got a new scene to write. I'm going to sit down with my coffee for that one. And sitting <laughs> seems like such a luxury, you know? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So are you someone, um, and I know you're constantly on the move, but do you, do you then, like, are you a morning person, an evening person? Do you schedule those uh, hours. You know, I used to prefer afternoons and evenings, but really since the kids, it's all been determined by, by the school timetable. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're living in France this year, as it happens, and the kids only go to school four days a week. So, you know, Monday morning and, and Thursday morning, you really feel that lightning focus of, I've only got two days, I've got to achieve something before my concentration is <laughs> wrecked again. 
So are you someone that can then like put on headphones and listen to music or do you prefer white noise, background noise? I don't notice. You know, occasionally I play a bit of music and then I suddenly realize it's been five hours and the music stopped a long time ago. So um, um, no, I, I don't really use any particular input. Um, I would say I would find it difficult to write without my laptop. You know, I sometimes imagine, you know, come the apocalypse, will I be writing great novels, you know, scratching them on bark or stone? I'm not sure because, you know, I, I learned to write in the age of PCs um, in the in the very early 90s and that ability to cut and paste and move things around I find particularly helpful and I use a great program called Scrivener where you get to write in little chunks and then rearrange the chunks any way you like. So yeah. say my last novel Frog Music I tried the whole thing chronologically and I found it just wasn't working so I was able to very easily just rearrange all the scenes to go in a back and forward movement through time so um, so I like that kind of tool. That's great. So when you were working on the script uh, adaptation of Room, were you using Scrivener for that as well? No, I'd have been using Final Draft for that. But yeah. often I do at least the initial stages of whatever I'm working on on Scrivener. And, and you could very easily sort of collect all your research, say, you know, even photographs that might have inspired a scene or, or, you know, chunks of background data, you can have them all attached to it. And then you could just tell it to print out the scenes you want. That's right. You know, you can say, cut all the scenes with the dog in them. <laughs> Don't do Kill that. Kill the dog. <laughs> um, well, I think you already answered this question, but uh, do you believe in writer's block? You know, I, I'm, I wouldn't, it's like depression. I wouldn't sneer at anyone else who says they've had it. But I've been lucky enough not to. And I do think my, you know, non-monogamous attitude to writing has been very helpful. Because, of course, you get a bit strained and dull with any one project, especially a novel where, you know, you have to commit your energy to it for years on end. Mm -hmm. So I think taking little breaks and sneaking off and writing an adulterous short story is, is crucial to keep it fresh. Um, and I get an awful lot of work done in my future books by sneaking off and spending some time on them really years before I should be doing anything on them. Mm -hmm. So then by the time I'm officially writing that book, I have a lot of material already built up and sometimes even some scenes. So that really helps and break down the terror of the blank page because it means, you know, the page is never blank. There's always something. And similarly, I keep little notes files on my phone. So by the time I come to writing anything, I will have quite a few little ideas jotted down. I love that. I love that. And I love the idea of, and we keep coming back to this on this show, of uh, pr productive procrastination. So, you know, when you're kind of fire dies out on one project, you're just shifting your attention to, it sounds like another project, and that keeps your uh, creative juices going. Absolutely. I mean, writing is, is so personal. It's like sex. So you can't tell anyone else how to do it. You just have to find the way your brain works and um, do your best to keep it working. <laughs> I like that a lot. So let's talk about your workflow just a little bit. It sounds like uh, you are not using a typewriter because you're globetrotting. So you're probably using a very lightweight laptop would be my guess. In fact, me and my, my partner and our, our two kids, we all have identical MacBook Airs. Yeah. And I, have, I live in dread of taking one of theirs on a trip instead of mine. So I recently made them all get <laughs> um, you know, decals to stick on theirs. So they each have a picture. And my kids were trying to pick a decal for me. And I was like, no way, I'm a writer. <laughs> mine has to look blank. That's but then funny. a guy at the, uh, at the airport the other day picked mine up and was walking away with it. So um, I think perhaps a decal would be useful. But, you know, it's like choosing a tattoo. How could I possibly choose one image to mark my computer and, you know, to, to say everything that's in it? That's right. Maybe just a big question mark. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So in addition to you, Scrivener and Final Draft for the screenwriting, do you have some other organizational hacks or software that, that you rely on to kind of oh, keep everything? Oh, yeah. And Lenny Abramson, our director, he, he turned me on to this great app called Workflowy. It's just a series of nested to-do lists. It's incredibly simple, but it means that instead of my putting things in the calendar function on my phone and then endlessly procrastinating them, you know, putting them off by a week, instead I know that they're all in Workflowy, you know, and, yeah. and there's a great feeling of, okay, you know, all my duties for the next five years are in there, so I don't have to worry about them today. <laughs> I like that. And, and I have heard that um, often, uh, the use of workflowy. So I'll link to that in the show notes. So um, do you have some best practices for beating procrastination or is that not something that you have to deal with often? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't always work well. I certainly don't always write well, God knows. And um, I find that planning is hugely helpful because, you know, Many scenes or sections of a book are deeply intimidating, and especially if you're not well enough prepared, you know, like if you suddenly think, okay, now I have to write a big riot scene set in a crowded San Francisco street in 1876, ah, where do I begin? So in that case, I would do a lot of research, and, and when I've read, you know, articles from the time and so on, I'm already getting ideas for little things you would see or little things people would shout out. So I usually have a lot of material already, but then I also plan which scenes are going to be um, in what I'm writing, whether it's fiction or or, or play or um, screenplay, because if I know what scenes are coming up, I will have a much better um, ability to write them um, powerfully. In that you need to know why the scene is there. So if you've written out your list of scenes and you're suddenly thinking, actually, do we need three scenes at the dentist? You may well be able to say, no, just one scene at the dentist will do. So I mean, I'm not saying that the characters themselves have to speak, you know that clearly and effectively of course they can appear to be just burbling on but if you know what the scene is for that's a huge help I, I, I know in particular if if you have a really strong sense of your characters and you you put in the time thinking you know oh, does he shave his mustache what color eyeliner does she use then by the time you get to writing the scene you can make the dialogue happen very easily because you know these people mm -hmm. so massive amounts of preparation basically especially in trying to improve my plots because i'm not a natural plotter at all i'd say i'm a natural gabber you know, dialogue comes easily to me but mm -hmm. my plots I, I i would say are, are typically very baggy and so when i plan what's going to go where in advance, that's a very helpful way for me to see all the unnecessary stuff that I could put out or make, make sure. Absolutely. So how does Emma Donahue unplug at the end of a, a long day? Well, I find my kids a wonderful contrast with the writing life, you know, because they couldn't care less whether I'm, you know, listed on, on Variety's list of screenwriters to watch or anything. They couldn't care less. And in fact, their attitude to my publicity trips is, is typically like, oh, you're going to be away more than 24 hours, so you must bring us a present. <laughs> um, or, you know, they get excited about, you know, free slippers from the hotel or something. So so they, they puncture the ego balloon wonderfully. And they're so physical as well, because writing is a very, you know, intellectual life. You're living in your head. And so when my kids literally jump on me in the morning and, you know, their, their bone-crushing weight, it really anchors me in the body again. It's wonderful. Thanks so much for joining me for this half of a tour through the writer's process. If you enjoy the Writer Files podcast, please subscribe to the show. 
and leave us a rating or a review on iTunes to help other writers find us. For more episodes or to just leave a comment or a question, you can drop by writerfiles.fm. And you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week. Bye.